You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Uh, it is that time of the year. It is our first Hot Stove Show of 2024. We are thrilled to have you with us, Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. We joined a little bit later on by Shannon Dreyer as well. Gary, it's great to see you. It's great to see you. Uh, this is our annual, since this is the first show, it's our annual Is It the Hot Stove or the Hot Stove Show? We, we talk about what this thing is actually called because it's a little different every year. Uh, we don't have a conclusion. We know hot and stove. It's in the title. We know that, but it's great to be here. It's great you, to get started. You want to just call it the stove? The stove. Yeah, I like that. All right, just just pulling it out there. Uh, well, whatever it is, sounds uh, cool. It does. No, it sounds really great. Yeah. I think people dig it. Uh, <laughs> this is always a fun program to get to know some people who maybe are new to the organization that we mm-hmm. haven't talked to before. And uh, that will happen later on in the program. Uh, the Mariners have made a number of moves. And Luke Rayleigh is now a member of the Seattle Mariners. We saw him as a member of the Rays, uh, hit an absolute tank against the Mariners. And uh, it'll be great to have him as part of the squad. He will have a very noticeable role for the Mariners this year. Yeah, he will. He'll be a middle-of-the-order bat playing all kinds of different places, left-handed power. It'll be fun to see that at T-Mobile Park consistently. But he's a guy that the Mariners are certainly going to count on and tell some great stories, too, as as we'll hear. He's got a very interesting background, uh, very different than most guys in their past to the majors. So, uh, yeah, he's going to play a big role for the M's this year. And uh, to talk about Luke and some other things as well, we'll be joined shortly by Mariners general manager Justin Hollander. Now, Mariners kind of went quiet for a little bit mm. this offseason, and then things really sped up not that long ago. Uh, we know about the deal with Tampa Bay to bring Rayleigh over. A deal not that long ago as well with the Giants. Uh, Anthony DiSclavani now joins the Mariners pitching staff. And Mitch Hanniger is back. And we'll hear Justin Hollander talk about some of those things. The position player side dramatically changed in the last few days. So there's a lot to talk about with Justin Hollander. We haven't had a chance to talk to him since the Mitch Garver signing as well. So we'll ask him all about uh, where he fits in. You know, I was asked the other day about Mitch Hanniger coming back to Seattle and just kind of what that vibe will be like. Yeah. I think in the last, what do you think here? The last five or six years, if you were to make a short list of oh, yeah. favorite players, fan favorite players, Hanniger is right near the very top of that list. For sure. You know, it's it's funny. There are guys that can even spend a relatively short amount of time in a Mariners uniform, but become Mariners and will have a connection to the Mariners that will last beyond their Mariner playing days. And I thought Mitch Hanniger was one of those guys. Uh, Nelson Cruz felt like one of those guys to me. Uh, Paul Seawald, who was in a Mariners uniform the last few years, felt like one of those guys to me. And I think it helped to... Uh, Mitch really solidified his connection with the end of the the previous season before the playoff year and leading into it and everything, the open letter he sent to mm-hmm. Mariner fans and then being part of the group that pushed it over the top to get him into the postseason. And 
you know, he's just, he's just one of those guys that's always had a connection and such a great dude. And he's had, you know, he's had some really bad luck in his career with some really freak injuries and, you know, Mariners have fans have been with him through the ups and the downs along those lines too. I, I just feel like there's a bond there and I, I you know, it's, you know, it's not only a feel-good story that he's back. Like the Mariners need his bat to be productive in the lineup too, for them to get back to the postseason that he was a part of last time he was here. Like they need Mitch Haniger to be productive. When I think about Mitch, one of the first things that comes to mind isn't so much a moment, but an overall mentality, and that is more than almost any player that I've been around. When Mitch's career is over whenever that day comes for him he will be able to go into retirement knowing that he did truly everything physically and mentally that he could during his career to maximize his abilities he's just truly one of the most focused players i've ever witnessed it makes him very hard to track down <laughs> because he has such a routine and he's so dedicated to it and he's truly such a a nice person, but he is just, you know, you talk about like a starting pitcher on their start day and how they, how they're locked in. Mm -hmm. That's, that's Hanniger like every day. I mean, he's just so locked in to his routine and what he needs to do, whether it be his sleep, his nutrition, obviously what he does in the cage and the weight room, the therapy physically. I know he does a lot of mental work as well. Uh, he's just, He's just one of my favorites for all those reasons and many others also. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it's funny too. We'll talk to Luke Rayleigh later on uh, in the show. And there's some parallels, I think, between the two in that, you know, it took him a while to get to the majors and have a huge impact. I, I think, you know, Mitch's first full season was his all-star season when he was age 27 season in 2018. It was a year where he, almost played 160 games in a Mariners uniform. And Luke Rayleigh, you know, last year was kind of his first full season in the majors at uh, age 29. So there's some parallels there, I think, between the two and and how they got to the majors. And, you know, Mitch is just one of those guys that, too, you think about the impact he has on the others around him because of everything you just mentioned, that positive impact and everything we've heard from Mitch Garver, he's along those same lines, which, you know, through the course of a long season and when you have young hitters around, that is certainly not a bad thing. The no. impact that they can have beyond their production on the field. There's no question. Speaking of Mitch Garver, we'll have a chance near the end of the program to talk with Jared Sandler of the Rangers radio booth who had a chance to watch Mitch uh, the last couple of years in a Rangers uniform, Mitch Garver, that is. And we'll get a little bit of a Mitch Garver scouting report from Jared Sandler and also learn some of his takeaways and impressions on the World Series run for the Rangers. I think there's, as we discussed, there's just a lot of baseball lessons to be had yeah. watching the Rangers, how they constructed that team, and then what the final week of the season was like for them, which the Mariners were very much a part of, and the run that they went on, which was remarkable. So uh, all that's coming up straight ahead. Gary, for the first show, I think we did all right. I think we did too. And the Rangers conversation is really fascinating to me for that very reason, in that I, I talk about it all the time. You just got to get in. You've got to get into the postseason. Then literally anything can happen. The Rangers last year, right, getting to the – World Series, winning the World Series, the Diamondbacks getting to the World Series. But you look at a team like the Dodgers, 
really smart team, all the resources in the world. They've won their division for a decade in a row, yet they, they've won one World Series. And it's not because they put the team together badly. It's not because they haven't had the players to do it. And it's just one of those things when you get to the playoffs, literally anything can happen. Anyone can beat anyone in a short series or even a seven game series. So it's, it is one of those lessons I think that we always have to to learn at the end of the season. And uh, the Texas Rangers conversation is fascinating. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. That's coming up near the end of the program. We're glad to have you with us on our first hot stove show of the year. It is the hot stove show. When we come back, we will the, the stove. When we come back, we'll hear from general manager, Justin Hollander straight ahead. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. All right, welcome back to the Hot Stove, our first of the year. Gary Hill, Shannon Grayer here. Mariners general manager Justin Hollander here. Justin, it's our first Hot Stove. It's our first show. You are the first guest, so congratulations. It's uh, an honor to be first. <laughs> it can only get better from here. <laughs> nice. Well, it's great to see you. You've been busy the last, uh, last few days or so. Give us a general sense of of where where things are at right now after the flurry of the last few days. It was a flurry. I was very busy, uh, particularly last week. You know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, as these deals started to come to to fruition and, and see more real. Um, I think everybody has an appreciation for what a deal looks like at the end. I don't know if people behind the scenes understand how many iterations of a deal you talk about before it actually gets done and how many times you think you're about done and then it takes another twist and turn and you end up with no deal being done when you think you're, you are you had one. So we, we talked about these for a while, um, both separately and in tandem, as a way to fix what we felt like was a, a shortfall on the, the position player side. We felt really good. We have felt really good for a long time on our, on the pitching end of our team, deep and young with big stuff, particularly in the starting rotation. Um, we felt like we had things that most people don't have um, in the starting rotation, and we, we felt short when we got to this point in the offseason on the position player side. And oh, one of the things that Jerry and I talked about is sort of reallocating um, the weight of our roster from all on pitching to more and even balance pitching versus position player group and in reacquiring Mitch and, and acquiring Luke Rayleigh, we feel, really feel good that we added um, real depth to our position player group. One guy we obviously know incredibly well, um, very popular downstairs among our players, among our staff. We really have a great feel on what Mitch is bringing to the table in a way that you would only have if you had a player for a long time. And with Luke, we it's been a guy that we followed for a long time. We've tried to acquire at various stages when he was in the minor leagues with the Dodgers. Um, and then when he went to Tampa, we had talked to them in the past about the ways in which we might match up with them for Luke because he does so many things that we value. Uh, he has power, obviously, uh, and real power, power that T-Mobile Park um, can't withstand, which is, you know, there's a select few guys that hit the ball that hard uh, that make T-Mobile Park less of a factor. He's also playing, was playing in a bigger park in Tampa, so we, you know, less of a translation, understanding that he's coming from a pitcher-friendly place. Uh, he's an excellent defender in the outfield. He's an excellent base runner. Shockingly fast for, like, a very large human. Um, you know, faster than a lot of the players on our team. Those sort of well-rounded skills, uh, along with positional flexibility to play first base too, are, are things that we really valued this offseason to build a, a deeper 1 through 13 position player group. So I feel like in a lot of ways we answered a lot of those questions. And wow, did I just talk for a long time straight. <laughs> <laughs> 
A lot of folks don't know. They obviously know Mitch Haniger. They don't know Luke Rayleigh as well. His path has been a little bit different. He's older for his experience level. What have you seen in that development? Yeah, um, he's always had real tools. Uh, Lake Erie College is not usually where the the big leaguers come from, uh, but you know he's always had real tools. You know, in our scouting boxes, he's always had big numbers in the run, the throw, the power. Um, it took him a little longer to get to the big leagues, um, and he seems to have been a guy that a lot of the same organizations have targeted over and over and over again. Came up with the Dodgers, performed pretty well in the minor leagues, got traded, got traded back, ended up going to Tampa uh, at one point, and then kind of had his breakthrough over the last, call it, last calendar and a half or last calendar year and a half. Uh, and really showed, I think in the first half last year, like when it's right for him, he could be an impact player. I think at this stage of his career, he's 29 years old. We have long control over him. We really are intrigued by his ability um, to mash right-handed pitching and to be a difference maker on both sides of the ball. Uh, that's a hard thing to acquire in this market. Obviously, the free agent market wasn't brimming with um, position player options, particularly in the outfield and particularly left-handed ones. Um, so for us, it, it was it was a, an ad that we were really focused on once it became clear that he might be potentially available this offseason. You mentioned his versatility defensively. He really did play everywhere, including center field last year for Tampa Bay. In the ideal world, with health on your current roster, where do you see him mostly? Everywhere. Um, <laughs> you know, like, I think that's, that's, that's a big part of it for us is you know right field, left field, um, maybe a day or two in center field if Julio's DHing that day or off, and then some first base days too. He's a good first baseman. Um, the, the backup first base spot isn't something that we've had on our roster over the last couple of years, and it really does force us to play Ty a lot when Ty could probably use a DH day or an off day. Um, so that you know it, it gives Scott more freedom to plan ahead, um, give guys an off day for rest for matchup reasons, uh, and really gives Luke the opportunity to, to play all over and get in the lineup as much as possible, again, particularly against righties. You've wanted to bring in some middle-of-the-order bats. Yep. You've wanted to cut down on the swing and miss some. Yep. There's a balance there. Yep. What have you got right now? We, I think we have cut down on the swing and miss, and obviously that is a part of Luke's game, but it's not a part really a big part of Mitch's game, although he will strike out some. But Which, you, You've got oh, sorry. <laughs> this is going to kill me all, all year. Let's include all Mitch's here. <laughs> uh, Mitch Hanniger. Um, okay. He's not an overwhelming strikeout guy, but it is in his game. And Mitch Garver really controls the strike zone well. Uh, and is a, sort of a unique entity in that he is a middle-of-the-order bat with power who makes awesome swing decisions, like a lot of the players on our team, and does not swing and miss. Um, and that maybe separates himself from separates him from the pack uh, in, in the world in which he lives in, which is – impact middle-of-the-order type hitters who do not have swing and miss. Uh, so we feel good that we have, in a lot of ways, changed the dynamic of our roster. I think we all understood that there are always trade-offs when you go into an offseason. We'd all like to design the perfect players one through nine uh, and have them all swing and all only strikes and never chase and never swing and miss. Like That's not the reality of the market, but we did need to balance out our roster and not have so much swing and miss. I think last year we got to a point of, like, you know, DEFCON 1, where the swing and miss just made it really hard to consistently put together rallies and score. And when we got hot, it was awesome. And when we got cold, it was really frustrating. And we're trying to change that dynamic a little bit. Let's peel it back a little bit. Before this flurry, we have not had a chance to talk to you on the show about Mitch Garver, who you just mentioned. And he strikes me with all the things that you talk about and value offensively. It just seems like he is perfectly in that mold of what you're looking for. It's interesting. He is someone that 
coming into the offseason, when we started our offseason planning in early September, he was a name that came up over and over and over again as a perfect fit for our team, our roster, um, our lineup. And I really didn't have any expectations that we would be able to add him with the way our roster existed in early September. And when we made some changes to how the roster was situated early in the offseason and early November, uh, I reached out um, to Mitch's agent and he said, it's so great that you called. You were on my list today. This is a perfect fit. We should find a way. You know, Mitch is very interested in the Northwest. His wife went to veterinary school at Oregon State. He's watched you guys play. He wants to go to a good team that can win. He obviously just did it last year in Texas. You're going to check all his boxes. Let's keep this conversation going. I think it's a fantastic fit. And interestingly enough, when we did a Zoom call with him and his wife, we got off the call, Jerry and I did, um, and we left the rest of the, the call to Scott Service and our hitting guys. And Jerry said, who does he remind you of? And I said, ah, there's some Tom Murphy there maybe. He said, yeah, Mitch Hanniger would be my comp for Mitch Garver. <laughs> Just in talking to him, the way he talks about hitting. And now to have them both on the team, I think was, will be a big win for the rest of our hitters and the way they understand how to approach a starter um, in a given game and the way to game plan for a team. I think there'll be big ads sort of in an intangible way off the field for those guys. I thought the same thing when we talked to him on the media call. Mitch Hanniger came to mind, which is Really, really uh, similar and, and kind of ironic that they, now that we have them both. <laughs> <laughs> and that covers the Mitches. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have Rayleigh and Raleigh. We have Mitch and Mitch. Yes. It's going to be really confusing this year. Hey, you just mentioned the Zoom call with Mitch Garver. I, I think fans would be interested to hear all the work that goes in behind the scenes that we don't see. We see, oh, he signed, right? But all the all the work that goes in all the people that are talked to before assigning, uh, yeah, like we, Mitch Garver. We, we do a lot of background work. I think the, the quality of the person and how they're wired is really important. We've had a younger team over the years, um, and you're never going to get it always right. You don't really know someone until they're actually here, but you try and do as much as you can on background to understand how they're going to fit in, how they're going to fit in with your other players, how they're going to fit in with your philosophies, how they might interact with the coaches who will be working with them every day. So we will talk to teammates of teammates or people that we may have relationships with who have known them, uh, other coaches who have coached them in the past. And then, you know, the Zoom call post-COVID has become a thing that is generally done, if not an in-person visit, um, where you just get a chance to get a feel for them. Maybe their spouse joins, maybe they don't, um, and hear what's important to them. I think what's lost on a lot of people is it's not just a one-way interview. They're interviewing you. Um, they want to know what you're about. They want to know if you're compatible with what they want to do from the time they walk to walk in the clubhouse and out on the field for that game tonight. They want to know how their family is going to be treated. They want to know what it's like to live in the area, et cetera. Um, so there's, there's a lot that you can learn on just a couple hours Zoom call. Um, and, you know, it's not lost on me that, again, it's not just for players who writes them the biggest check. It's where their family is going to be happiest, where they're going to enjoy playing, winning competitive environments. Those things really matter, and it's a chance for you to showcase what you're about. How does a deal like that happen on Christmas Eve? Why does it get locked <laughs> up then? What's the progression <laughs> into that? Um, I joked with um, with a couple of people. I'm Jewish, so it was fine for me. I was just sitting around, um, but I didn't mean to make other people work on Christmas Eve. Um, we had, you know, sort of set um, a goal that we'd like to either do a deal or know that we're not going to get a deal done before Christmas had started. 
Um, and we, you know, made what we thought we put our best foot forward during that week and had, you know, gone back and forth with a couple of different iterations of offers between Mitch's representative, Fred Ray, and myself, uh, along with Jerry and, and ownership here. And it really wasn't Christmas Eve. Like, we had basically had a deal done the day before. Uh, we dotted the I's and crossed the T on the morning of Christmas Eve. Uh, funny story, his agent was at a hockey game the night before, um, had talked to Mitch and left his phone at the arena. <laughs> so we had a little delay in the morning because he had to go retrieve his phone to get a hold of Mitch and Sarah because they wanted to sleep on it and make sure they were comfortable and this was the spot for them. So as the morning went on, I thought, oh, man, we're not going to get this guy. He's going to sign with somewhere else. And then it was around noon. He called me and said, I'm really sorry. I left my phone at the hockey game. I couldn't get it till now. So I couldn't call you in the morning to let you know they're in. They're excited. So um, that was how it happened. Yeah, I didn't mean to make everybody uh, run to their phones on Christmas Eve. Um, but yeah, it was it was a really big deal, and we're really excited that that Mitch is going to be a part of the Mariners for at least the next two years. Yeah, he's a significant middle of the order bat for the Mariners moving forward. How much? And we haven't seen the Mariners with a DH yep. in a while since Nelson Cruz. Basically, is Mitch Garver the DH? Will he, we rarely see him as catcher as you envision it? Yes, uh, he will. He will be penciled in in the DH role. I do think he'll catch some. How much, I don't know. We'll get into spring training, get in the season, and see how the, the rhythm, rhythms of that rotation work. I'm guessing Mitch Hanniger will get a DH day here or there. They'll both get some off days. And I think that's one of the things that Scott talked about, what was important to him when Jerry and I sat down with him at the end of the season, is the ability to build a deeper offensive team so that he didn't feel like, oh, God, I really can't sit this guy today. We really, I want to win this game, you know. George is on the mound today. We, you know, I, I need this guy in the lineup today. Let's just we got to push across a couple today and give him more options day to day, so that when somebody needs just a day, just a day to do nothing, they can have that day. Um, but I would envision Mitch Garver as the primary DH on our team. Let's talk a little bit about what we have seen this offseason in general in in baseball, and obviously a big bang at the beginning, or you know the big name at the top, and hell, oh, that's holding up the market here and there. But the more coverage there is, be it on TV, be it on social media, to me, you're seeing different names out there every day, particularly in the trade world. How much of that is truly available? It's a good question. Um, you know, I think that people would be surprised if they actually had an insight into like our discussions to have in our internal database, like how many players are actually available versus how many players are speculated to be available mm -hmm. and what the actual cost to acquire is. I think the, the league is in a unique spot right now. You know, uh, four or five, six years ago, there was a lot of chatter around the, just the number of teams that were rebuilding all at once. And it seemed like the league was sort of like a studs and duds league. There's almost no teams that are interested in prospect trades right now. Um, most teams are in their competitive window. They're trying to, to push in and, and get that last piece. So there, there are players available. There's always trade chatter. I think what we're seeing more this offseason is major league player for major league player trade, like the Robbie Ray, Mitch Hanniger, Descofani trade, as opposed to just a pure prospect deal, because I just think most teams aren't that interested in you know somebody's good prospect that's an A-ball. Now, when you talk about the elite, elite prospects, there will always be a market for those players. But most teams right now seem focused on how do they get better in the big leagues in 24, as opposed to like a four and five or six year plan. I'll, I'll, you know, I'm interested in your 18 year old that played in the Arizona Complex League last year. That's just that's not a market that a lot of teams are, are in right now. It's pretty amazing because like four or five years ago, you could do a lot with low A players yep. and lower minor players. And we're not seeing that 
as much right now. Yeah, it's a, it's. And I think these things always go in cycles, and I try not to overreact to any of them. But it is a it's a very competitive game right now. There's every division. There are almost all of the teams are believe they have a chance to compete in that division this year. So it's just a, the way the league has cycled in and out of these winning phases, these competitive phases right now, is there's just a lot of teams that are pushing in right now. So what does it take to keep you competitive in this division right now? And I, I want to point to something that and I early on, I looked at you guys and said, lean into that pitching, just yep. continue to lean in. You kind of indicated that at the press conference at the end of the season. And then Jerry, when we talked with him the other day, said, yeah, we explored trading pitchers, but that's our strength. That's who we are. I think that is who we are. And, you know, I, people didn't have video from that press conference when we talked about it, but I'm sure I made a really uncomfortable face when we talked about trading our young pitchers. <laughs> like, you always have to give to get. And I, you know, we, we've explored a lot of different options and a lot of different scenarios on our team this year. Um, but we have been about pitching. Um, that's, that's been our strong point. That's what we're about. Uh, and we've been about youth. We've been about being a young, energetic, athletic team. Um, and that's that's what we want to continue to be. We want to supplement the pitching we have. When you're trading off your major league team, your opening day roster, you're removing wins from the table. You're removing players that are going to contribute to wins today. So the idea of trading today's wins and getting back the same number of wins in its different shape, you know, you look a little different, but are you really any better by doing that? Um, so we we explored a lot of different concepts this this offseason, and we'll continue to explore them, as my guess. But we really are focused on getting better uh, and the core that we have now building around that core of players. I think it's important for us to understand who we are, um, what we're built around. We did need to get more consistent offensively. I think we've started to address that. I'd like to continue to do more if we can, um, if the market will allow it. But I think that you know rebalancing and reshaping our roster but not tearing the core apart was really important to Jerry and myself, ownership, um, really our whole baseball ops group. Um, when you have young pitching, it's really hard to find. Um, don't, don't treat it lightly. We're visiting with Mariners general manager, Justin Hollander. Mariners season soon will be here. Now's a great time to lock in your seats for the biggest games, including opening day against the Red Sox, March 28th, and a three-day Julio bobblehead giveaway April 1st to the 3rd. Get your tickets and check out the complete schedule at Mariners.com. We'll come back more Justin Hollander when we return right after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Gary Hill alongside Shannon Dreher. We continue our conversation with Mariners General Manager Justin Hollander. And Justin, we were just talking about Mariners pitching a moment ago. And obviously the five in the rotation, the top five, really exciting. Now you enter 
this season without Robbie Ray, without Marco Gonzalez. We know when you go through a baseball season, you're going to need six, seven, eight, nine starting pitchers as you move through the season. How are you thinking about the Mariners' depth when it comes to the rotation right now? Sure. I think the average is actually around 11. Now, the 11th <laughs> guy does not usually make like 15 starts right. or something like that. But, you know, you need 10 um, realistically. I think that's why we were excited to get Descalfani as part of uh, the Robbie Ray Hanneker trade. You know, Anthony Descalfani has been a really good starter in the big leagues. And whether it's on opening day because we have an injury in spring training or a month into the season, I am really confident, unfortunately, that we will not go through the season with five starters and to have Anthony and to have Emerson Hancock as right now as number six and seven in our rotation is is we feel an advantage over what most teams usually deal with. And then we'll continue to add to that depth via trades in the offseason, via waiver claims, minor league free agent signings, internal guys we already have on hand like Darren McCacken. Like we need to make sure that we have enough pitching to get through the season. I think the the core group that we have is really good. I don't want to lose sight of the value of depth that we have. And I think that's that's never something that we underrate upstairs. We will just need all those guys to get through a season. Tell us more about Descalfani when he was at his best a couple of years ago. He will fit right into the D Z mantra that we talk about all the time. He is uh, a voracious strike thrower. Um, he's got a really good fastball. Um, he's got a good changeup. Um, he's always been a guy who pounds the strike zone and always been a guy who can work his way through lineups um, in a way a traditional starter does. Um, he will fit in very well here because he doesn't give free bases, and that was something that we really valued. It is really hard for a staff to absorb when you have injuries and the next starter up or the, the guy who comes into the game does not throw strikes, and now somebody else has to get up out of the pen, and now another roster move has to be made the next day. Mm-hmm. Those are things that crush a roster. You don't just lose a given game in a day, but you, you might lose two or three games in a week because of the damage you do by walking people. Um, and so Descofani's strike-throwing history is really, really uh, appealing to us. What can you tell us about Bryce Miller's splitter? <laughs> I saw one good one. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just giving Bryce a hard time. Um, uh, Bryce is someone who has really, really taken to the idea of pitch shaping, trying to get better, trying to find ways to take his whole roster, his whole repertoire of pitches to the next level. Uh, I'm excited to see what it looks like in the spring. I talked to Trent Blank last week about it, um, who's our director of pitching strategy and one of our major league pitching coaches. And Trent's excited about it. Um, with his arm slot, you know, Bryce, for those who aren't watching, I'm moving my arm over the top of my head. <laughs> Bryce and Logan are come from a similar place. They come from high uh, in, in that slot working straight down with the kind of ride and carry that his fastball has, which makes it really unique and kind of um, a unicorn in baseball. If he can get the feel for the split over time, uh, it sets up to, to work nicely together, you know, working vertically up and down in the strike zone. So I'm excited to see it in the spring. Um, Bryce continues to get better every day, every week, every month, every year. Uh, it's amazing the transformation that he has put himself through since the day we drafted him. I'm glad you mentioned Logan Gilbert. That pitch was a game changer for him this year. And to watch uh, his transformation from when he first took the mound in a Mariners uniform to what he was last year, what is it about the dynamic, from your perspective, of the pitchers that you have, the group that you've put together around them, that has allowed them to flourish and transform themselves while they've been in Mariners uniforms? Um, I wish I had the, the perfect answer for that. I, mostly I, I give each individual credit. 
you know, Logan's kind of the ultimate mariner. He's the perfect mariner. He's really thoughtful. He's really smart. His work ethic is off the charts. And, you know, I know he said something to, to Jerry and I at the end of the year last year when we were visiting after the last game. Like, this is the first winter he hasn't had to go feel like he's yeah. going home to remake something. He, you know, I don't, he, I think he said something like, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. <laughs> I'm not going to add a pitch. I'm not going <laughs> to, like, have a crazy makeover. I just want to, like, perfect what I have. And that's sort of a different way of approaching the offseason than he's approached it in previous years. Um, with Logan, with George, um, obviously Luis has made a lot of changes since he's been here. He's emphasized the four-seamer more, um, the breaking ball more, the change-up a little less as his as his repertoire has evolved. Um, with Brian and Bryce, you know, Brian didn't have a two-seamer at the beginning of the year last year when he came to the spring training, and it was kind of a featured pitch for him by the time we got down the stretch. Um, that, you know, that, that fingertip feel, the ability to manipulate the baseball, probably George is better at it than anyone, uh, exemplified by him just whipping out a knuckleball in the last day of the season <laughs> uh, against Corey Seager. But um, I think those guys' ambition to get better along with the, the coaching that we have you know, and it was Max Weiner when he was our pitching coordinator in the minor leagues, and now he's at Texas A&M, along with uh, Pete Woodworth and Trent Blank. Uh, I give a ton of credit to them, along with our, our analyst group upstairs, led by Joel Furman, uh, who oversees a lot of what we do on the pitching side. They just work really well together. They trust each other. Um, we're really lucky, and you know, the you know, way we look at it, since the day we acquired Elise, I think it's like you know, just August 1st of 2022, we have three of the 12 or 13 best starters in the American League. And that's, you know, George, Luis, and Logan have been stars since that day. Um, they all get a little better every year. They all change their repertoire a little bit, um, either to fix a flaw or enhance the strength. Um, and I think our group in general is very supportive of that. You talked about the great staff you have on the pitching side. You've made an addition on the hitting side, Brant Brown, an interesting hire with the time <laughs> that, you know, he was here. Yep. Then he went and he worked with the Dodgers. Yep. A lot of hitting gurus over there. I was intrigued by that. Time in Miami. Tell us what exactly is his role. And from what I hear and talking to some of the guys, he's, he's kind of hit the ground running. He has hit the ground running. So Brownie will be our bench coach and offensive coordinator. Um, we obviously had Brownie. I was only here with Brownie for a year, but he was with the Mariners previous to that um, for a bit. Um, Scott Service has a relationship with Brownie dating back to the Texas Rangers days. Um, Brownie knows our people. Our people trusted him. You know, when we had an opportunity to add Brownie to the staff in a, in a, a more oversight um, offensive coordinator role, it was kind of a no-brainer for us. He brings a different personality. I think a lot of his focus day-to-day -day will be on approach. You know, Jared DeHart does an awesome job with our hitting group. He's built up a lot of equity and trust on mechanics, on swing changes, on how the body moves, and giving JD a partner so JD doesn't feel like he's doing approach and mechanics every day um, will be a big add. And it also frees up Tony Arnerich on our staff to focus less on day-to-day -day hitting duties and now as the bullpen coach and catching coach to work with our catchers more, which is really one of Tony's um, uh, calling cards when he was coming through the minor leagues was his ability to work with the catchers every day. So it just is a reorganization of the staff, and I think it will give Brownie a chance to flourish in a, sort of a bigger role focus both on pregame approach and in-game approach, what adjustments we need to make as we're seeing how the game is unfolding. Uh, Brown has got a big personality. Uh, I think he really connects well with players. A lot of our players have already uh, met with him this offseason. He lives in Arizona in Peoria, so that worked out well for us. So he's been over at the complex every day hitting with guys, and I, I think it's going to be a big add um, for the way our day-to-day -day prep and, um, uh, and lineup reveals itself every day. Who are some of the guys that you're looking at in the system that can help you at some point this year, you think, uh, as you move through this season? 
Yeah, we saw some guys come up last year that I think will be in the mix. Cade Marlowe uh, did a great job for us when he came up, and I think Cade will be in the mix for us this year. Uh, Deloach, um, who we added to the roster this year and had a really good year at AAA, is an excellent defender. He's got a really well-rounded game. Uh, I think there's D'Lo has a chance to come up and help us. And then um, one of the guys that's probably a more, a more touted prospect that I think you'll see um, maybe down the stretch uh, is Tyler Locklear. Um, it's really, really interesting bat. He's got power. He doesn't strike out a ton. He makes contact. Um, again, the kind of power that we talk about that's like difference-making power, power that you know can hammer the gaps from to all fields, um, can hit it out of anywhere. Um, he's played some third base for us. He'll probably be primarily first base, some DH days. And just the ability to add that kind of bat, I think, in the second half of the year is probably realistic um, and somebody that we feel like has a chance to, to be an impact player in the future. You look at where you're at right now in the off season, and uh, you still hear "get better, get better, get better." That is the goal. What What are some of the things you could do to get better right now? Um, Jerry talked about it the other day. Um, I, you know, if we could add something to the bullpen, I think we would like to do that just to continue to take the pressure off. You know, Brash and Mooney and Topa and Spire at the very back end of the game, and add another name to that mix. That would be. Um, something that's appealing to us. And then another position player, I think we want to be selective. We want to find the right person, the right set of skills to mix and match what we already do have. But, uh, you know, no one ever says they have too many good position players. Mm -hmm. We just have too many good hitters on this team. <laughs> so the idea of adding another position player, I think, is appealing. At what spot, I don't know, um, and what the free agent and trade market will offer. Not quite sure yet, particularly on the trade market. Um, but we do feel like we're, you know, we're working from a different position than we were a week ago. And we would like to continue to add to it for sure. You know, this is a time of year where guys are obviously spread out. They're at home all over the country. And you know, it was going to spring training last year that we heard about J.P. Crawford and all the work that he did in the offseason. How much are you able to keep tabs on the things that guys on your roster are doing during the course of the offseason? I think we do a pretty good job of it. Um, our training staff um, is in regular contact, you know, every week, 10 days. They're on the phone with guys just making sure they don't need anything. Everybody's good. You know, what can they help with? You know, feeling okay, et cetera. And then our position coaches, uh, keep, along with Scott, keep in, in regular contact either by text or phone call with everyone. Uh, we had a fair number of guys that have been here this offseason. Uh, Ty France has been up here working at Driveline um, off and on between trips to Southern California. Uh, and from what I understand, he looks great uh, and feels really good about the work he's done there. Julio has been back and forth um, in the offseason. And uh, everywhere in between. <laughs> everywhere in between. <laughs> um, my understanding is Julio is very focused right now. Um, he's not happy with the way his year went last year and feels like that um, he needs to uh, – he wanted to make some changes to his routine and – and take it to a different level, which I don't know what that looks like, but it seems like it'll be really good. <laughs> um, and, uh, the, you know, the rest of the roster, we've been in regular contact. Cal Raleigh's been up here off and on, uh, texted with Cal uh, last Friday after we made the trades. He was out here for the Winter Classic and uh, just to spend some time in Seattle. And uh, he built a house or bought a house in Arizona, I think. Um, so he's been at the complex working with Brent Brown already. So pretty excited about where guys are at um, and look forward to obviously seeing them in person once we get into spring training. What's been the most interesting conversation you've had or a story that you've heard this offseason from somebody in the organization? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, <laughs> any conversation around Bryce Miller always tends to be the most interesting <laughs> one for you know what Bryce is thinking, what he's working on, um, what pitch shapes he's trying to perfect. Like Bryce is probably our most interesting and fun player. Uh, he's a unique, unique person. I think over the years people will get to know him more. Um, 
one of the rare starting pitchers that connects with everybody on the team. Usually the starters kind of hang together and Bryce is just as likely to be at a table with four position players or a reliever or a trainer. Like Bryce just connects with everybody. And it's always been that way uh, since the day we acquired him. Uh, really, really excited to see what it looks like going into next year for Bryce and for Brian. Um, those guys are just, you know, and really unique spots. They got to the big leagues so quickly, maybe before um, it was fair to them and they more than held their own and having a chance to take a breath over the winter, resituate and then come in and be like, okay, now I understand what I'm doing every day. Uh, I'm really excited to see what they do in the future. Innings was a lot of the conversation with them too, as we move through the season, how are you looking at them coming into a new year after getting through last year and pitching so well? Yeah, I think it'll be similar to what we talked about with Logan and George the previous year mm-hmm. coming off the playoffs and, you know, putting them in a different place than they've ever been before. I don't anticipate any innings restrictions for them. I do think we'll, we'll take it a little slow out of the gate in spring training. I don't think you'll see, like, multiple five- and six-inning outings in spring training for them. I think we'll bring them along more slowly and have them ready to go opening day, but not over ready uh, just to save some innings here or there and make sure that they got all the rest they needed and that they're built up in a way that is conducive to them pitching in September and October of next year. I was just thinking about your Julio comment from a moment ago. It's pretty wild with a guy who has a top five MVP type season. That's uh completely unsatisfied with this year. <laughs> I think, you know, Julio checks a lot of the boxes of like what really great players have, which is like all time talent and all time Make up drive desire to be that kind of player too. I think he he has really high expectations for himself and what he should be able to do, pitch to pitch at bat to a bat, game to game, etc. Um, and I I think that is like the mark of you know I've been around a couple of them in my career, lucky enough to watch them prepare. And Julio checks a lot of those boxes. The the talent doesn't come without a lot of hard work, and Julio does it every day. It's really impressive to watch. Well, Justin, you spent a lot of time with us tonight. We really appreciate it. Thanks for the insight. If we don't see you before, I guess we'll see you uh, just a month from now in spring training. God, that's crazy to say. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. There it is. Mariners general manager, Justin Hollander. We still have Luke Rayleigh coming up in the show. We have more to come. Hot stove coming back right after this. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. And the pitch. Swung on high fly ball. Right field and deep. Going back his tail on the track. Looking up and it's gone three rows into the right field seats. And Luke Braley has just tied this ball game up at two apiece. Welcome back. It's the Hot Stove Show. Aaron Goldsmith, Gary Hill, joined by one of the newest members of the Mariners. That is Luke Rayleigh, who joins the Mariners from the Tampa Bay Rays. Luke, welcome. It's great to have you as part of the Mariners. Thank you. I'm uh, excited for the opportunity and can't wait to get out there. Now, I know you have already told the story once or twice, probably, but your story of how you found out you were traded automatically ranks up near some of the very best. Can you walk us through how you found out? Yeah. Um, so on Friday, we're at, we are on our honeymoon, on my honeymoon with my wife. And um, 
we are in St. Lucia. So the resort has like pool volleyball from three to four. So got in the pool, played some pool volleyball, get out of the pool to like 10 missed calls, bunch of text messages. The one that really got me was uh, an email from my agent that only said, call me, nothing else. So I knew something had happened. Wasn't sure what yet. So I gave my agent a call. He let me know. And then I had to pull my wife out of the pool and said, Hey, we got to go to the room. I got to tell you something. So as we were walking up, I told her I got traded and you know, it's, it's always a whirlwind of emotions, regardless of, of where you go or how the opportunity looks, you know, you, you get to meet people, you have friends, people are texting you, you know, I'm going to miss you, all this stuff. So, um, yeah, it was, it was an emotional last day of the honeymoon, but we kind of joined it all back together and went and enjoyed the last evening and headed home on Saturday. I go to the volleyball player. Are you, um, mediocre at best but the pool volleyball net was what was low so my height gave me a nice advantage at the net oh gary can you imagine normal people like you and me <laughs> we're at this incredible resort and we say to our significant <laughs> other like hey <sighs> they've got some some uh, pool volleyball that sounds like a fun way to get a little exercise in and we roll down there and luke what what are we listed at right now you're six four six four yeah six four about 230 <laughs> <laughs> that's so great and we're like, oh, this will be a lot of fun until Luke is just spiking it in our face. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm, I'm just I'm just picturing bloody noses, just spikes <laughs> off foreheads. That's what I'm no picturing. no meet the fucker situation. Yes. It was it was strictly uh, I was I was being nice and gentle at the net. Um, I did block a couple, but nothing, no crazy spikes. Um, I was you know I knew it, everyone was trying to have fun. We were going to try to get into that. So what is the early days of onboarding? with the Seattle Mariners like? I mean, obviously, we still have a ways to go until you report to Peoria, but the Mariners have a process of the way that they do things. What are the conversations? Who are they with? And what can you do now to kind of catch up to speed for Peoria? Yeah, I've, I've kind of got to talk to a handful of people at this point and talk to like Brant Brown, who I'm familiar with. Uh, I He was our hitting coach in LA when I was there. So I've talked the most with Brownie just because it's a, a you know a familiar voice, I, I kind of have a relationship with him already. So um, he kind of broke down the the hitting the offensive side of things and how things are run and just just basically like our game planning for the year. Obviously, like how it's going to work, stuff like that. I got to talk to Skip a little bit this morning. You know, he basically gave me the breakdown of of how they imagine using me and stuff like that. So it sounds like it's going to be a great opportunity, and I'm I'm eager to get out there. Yeah, what are you most excited about when you look at the situation you're coming into? Oh, it's just a, a a group of very talented players. I mean, the the pitching staff here is unbelievable. So, you know, to be able to play behind a good pitching staff, which I got to do last year in Tampa Bay, boy, it makes baseball fun. So, so you know, being out there and and playing good defense behind them, and you know, them doing the rest is it's nice. Uh, Brent Brown, to go back a moment, is a name that some Mariners fans probably don't know of. Somewhat recently hired by the Mariners, kind of rehired, was a part of the organization on the minor league level years ago, then went to the Dodgers, onto Miami as a hitting coach, and now is part of the Mariners coaching staff. So Brent Brown is a name that we'll be hearing a lot uh, in the years to come for the Mariners. I'm really curious, your conversation with Scott Service, you referenced him telling you a little bit about your role. You're a really versatile guy. Played all three outfield positions last year, first base as well. What did Scott share with you in terms of how they they see you impacting the team? 
Yeah, essentially a lot of corner outfield. That's kind of going to be the primary position. But um, he said, you know, don't put the first base glove away. Um, you know, if Ty ever needs a break or, you know, any, any kind of bad situation for him, better situation for me, I could see myself at first a little bit. And he even said with Julio possibly getting a couple of days off here and there, I could find myself in center field as well. The Mariners would have the two largest center fielders in baseball. <laughs> so did he talk to you about pitching? No, he left that one off. And I, I got to say, I'm excited about that. You got to share, for Mariner fans that don't know, you got to share the Vladimir Guerrero story from last year. Yeah. I mean, we were getting beat up in Tampa, and Kevin Cash came up to me and was like, hey, you, will you throw a couple innings for us? And I said, I'll do whatever the team needs me to do. You know, no guarantees. As I told him, I got shelled in high school. So, you know, I'm not going to go out there and try to be a pitcher. I'm going to go throw the ball over the plate and hopefully the hitter gets themselves out. Um, no, my first inning there went went decently well. I think I gave up like a hit or two, but I don't think I gave up any runs in the first inning. I struck out Vlad. But then the second inning, he came back up and hit a grand slam off me. So he got me back for sure. Okay. But he signed a baseball to you that said you got me what where is that baseball right now it's sit, it's sitting uh, above our fireplace there in the living room so I mean, would you hindsight looking back on this would you easily say that you gave up a grand slam to vlad in order to say that you struck him out like do you come okay. you come out you come out on top of this yeah. absolutely absolutely I, i'm expected to go out and give up home <laughs> grand slam. no nobody expected me to get a punch out okay I watched the video of this sequence, and I know you're not Vlad, but I need you to take me inside of a hitter's mind for a second because I noticed something that caught really caught my attention. When you struck Vlad out, he was wearing batting gloves like he always does. His second AB against you, no batting gloves. Now, like you can't tell me that that was an unconscious decision. Is there anything that you can think of as why a hitter would do that? Like facing a position player who's throwing whatever you were throwing, 80 miles an hour? Yeah, yeah. I was throwing 50. I was lobbing the ball out there. The, my only thought could be was just, just as slow as bat speed yeah. down a little bit. I mean, just because he felt like he was way out in front of it or something. So, I honestly, I, until you just told me that, I didn't even realize that he didn't have batting gloves on the second time. I was trying to throw the ball at the top right-hand corner of the zone, so he wasn't going to hit anything up the middle. And, it, and you can even see on the strikeout, my, the pitch, I'm getting off the mound. I, you know, it, it's it's no fun to be uh, it's no fun to be on the mound when when you're lobbing the basically throwing batting practice without an L screen. Well, I would say you were successful at your location up and in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he just got to that one. He just the got to it. Your journey is really interesting. You did not get drafted out of high school. Division two baseball outside of Cleveland, traded numerous times, lost a season in the minors because of the COVID year. You finally get called up, limited ABs in your first two seasons in the majors, and then last year, pop. Breakout year on one of the best teams in baseball. What went into making last season so successful for you? Well, first and foremost, I, I basically redid my whole swing last offseason. The biggest thing being I had a leg kick and my leg kick was super successful in the minor leagues, but I felt with the increased velocity that you see in the big leagues, 
the extra movement that pitches have. It was just too much to maintain. And I felt like part of the reason I had a leg kick was to produce power. And I didn't feel like I needed to produce more power. I feel like with a basic swing, I can get the ball out of any yard and not have an issue. You know, you don't, they all count the same, whether they go in the first row or the third deck. So that was kind of the, the big thing. And, you know, that, that was something that was brought to me by the hitting coaches in Tampa and something that I had done when I was with the twins for a year. So, you know, I think that that definitely played a part in the success. And then the other thing was just more consistent playing time. I mean, you, it, it's hard enough to hit big league pitching when you're seeing it every single day. It's really hard to do it when you're seeing it every third day, maybe a pinch hit every now and then. So it, uh, it definitely makes a difference being out there more consistently. And going back, Aaron just mentioned you weren't drafted. You attended Lake Erie College and then drafted in the seventh round by the Dodgers. What was it in that time you went from non-drafted to drafted by the Dodgers after Lake Erie? What clicked for you? Honestly, it, it nothing. Nothing changed. So it is simply that I look bad doing things. And, and like, I admit it. It doesn't look pretty. I run funny. But – I've got good speed. My mm-hmm. arm action's funny from the outfield, but I have a good arm. It's like those things that like they, from the naked eye, you're going to look and be like, this, this is bad. So it, it's just something that works. And I think that like for college recruiting, that was always what I would hear back. Like, we don't like your arm action from the outfield or, you know, you're not fast enough, but they, it was never off of a time. It was off of how it looked. So um, you know, I got a great opportunity. I actually signed early to go to Lake Erie College. My brother was a pitcher there. So it was one of those things where I was like, you know, I've got a good opportunity to go here and play all the time. I get to play with my brother. It, it'll be cool. And if it's meant to be that I get drafted, it's meant to be. That was kind of my philosophy going in. And then I had kind of a breakout year in the Northwoods League my after my sophomore year of college, that summer league up there I think I hit like 14 home runs or something like that and kind of got noticed there and it kind of snowballed from there. You know, it's funny when you describe that too. You've got to love playing in the modern day. When you look at the number, your sprint speed, you're one of the fastest players in the game. You hit the ball extremely hard. You got to love that you have that data in the area you're playing in. Absolutely. I, I don't know if, if that data didn't exist, that I would be where I am. What do you a, look at when it comes to data? Are you are you all in? What what are you into? Yeah, I, I would say like like nowadays in baseball, like your batting average is is something that is not really looked at, and I agree with that. It's it's um you know how hard you hit the ball, your barrel consistency, stuff like that. Because if you're hitting the ball hard and it's getting caught, there's nothing you can do about. It. So as long as you're on the barrel and you're hitting the ball hard you're giving yourself the best opportunity to get on base. And I think that that, that is the main thing that I focus on speed wise. I mean, it is what those things are, are what they are. You don't really, you know, that's not something that you might be able to gain a little bit of speed in the off season, doing some training and stuff, but it's not something that's like, Oh, you went from being slow to being fast, Like you can always work on power and barrel consistency and all that stuff. 
Luke Rayleigh is our guest on the Hot Stove Show. Okay, first of all, the quote, I look bad doing things, is a Hot Stove Show <laughs> Hall of Fame quote. So thank you for that. Like Looking at your physical progression from high school to college to pro ball, it's almost unrivaled. Tell me if these numbers are correct. When you were 16 years old, you were 5'6", 160 pounds, more or less. Yes, that is correct. When I got my driver's license, that is what it said. But then you you hit a growth spurt, and then you you turned into 6'3", almost 200, call it 195 or so when you're in college? Yeah. Okay, and now you've packed on another 20-some pounds from there. I mean, what, what happened? Is this just you just started growing, and you started making harder contact, and everything became more powerful? Is it just simple as your what your body did? Yeah, I mean that it definitely helped. Um, the exercise, you know, that that definitely played a factor. My family has always been a bunch of late bloomers. My brother, I, my brother, his growth was even bigger than mine. He's he's now six five, and he was like the same thing, like five six. And by five six, when he got his driver's license, by the time he graduated high school, he was like six three, and he he went from throwing like low eights to high eights, low nines in one season. This is so inspiring for any young teenager listening to this right now, who is <laughs> at the end of the bench and the smallest on their team. I mean, you, you quit playing football because of your size. Is that right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Growing up, I, I was a running back, middle linebacker in football. And by the time I got to high school, I was so small. They wanted me to play cornerback and, I wanted to go in and, and hit people. I didn't, I didn't want to cover people downfield. Like that was no fun to me. So um, I decided to, to give it up and focus on baseball. We're talking with Luke Rayleigh, one of the newest members of the Mariners, fresh over from the Tampa Bay Rays. We've got more Hot Stove coming up. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hackback Bar and Grill. Welcome back. It's the Hot Stove Show. Aaron Goldsmith alongside Gary Hill. And we're joined by Luke Rayleigh, one of the newest members of the Mariners, outfielder and a little bit of first base as well for Luke. Luke, you have a, a really interesting family business. Can you tell us what the Rayleighs are up to out on the farm year round? Yeah, so my dad, um, my dad owns a Christmas tree farm and my brother's going to take it over. He works for my dad full time. They have you know 300 or so acres of evergreen trees in new philadelphia ohio and we do their main business is selling bald and burlap trees to landscapers for yards to use as blinds and stuff like that um but you can't really dig in the winter months so during the winter months we sell christmas trees how many christmas trees have you put on top of somebody's roof do you think if you were to estimate <laughs> uh, a lot yeah, it, it it's it's definitely over ten thousand, I would say. And now I gotta Whoa. tell you, I, Gary, I don't know if you're the same way. There's certain skills, right, that a dad needs to have. And my stress level, the day after Thanksgiving, when the goldsmiths yeah. pile in the van and make their way to the Christmas tree farm, and I have to tie I know. the Christmas tree onto the roof. I mean, in fact, so much so, we've started going to a place mostly because they will do it for me and yeah. i don't have the stress of driving home constantly looking through my yeah. sunroof being like oh my gosh i mean have did you ever have a close call luke no, uh i not that i know of what are we always tie the tree on 
So oh. that, that was, that, that's kind of my dad's big thing was anything that we can do to make the customer's life easy, we're going to do it. So we sell our own Christmas tree stands. We drill, we'll put the Christmas tree stand on it. We'll put it on your car, tie it down. You don't have to bring anything. We have the three ply, all that stuff. So yeah, I, I learned at a young age how to tie a Christmas tree on a car. Well, if I had access to a Christmas tree farm, I'd have like six of them in my house. Are you, are you just, <laughs> is it like one in each room? What are we talking about? No way. That's way too much decoration, way too much cleaning up at the end of the year. We want one. We want to make it nice and that's it. Now tell me about the, the haunted hayfield. Yeah. So when I, boy, I was probably about a junior in high school, my dad and um, my summer baseball coach's brother started a haunted cornfield called corn stalkers in our backyard where we sell the Christmas trees. So, you know, it, it was more of a, you know, a fun thing than anything else, but it was cool. I, I was a scare for about four years. Um, I was a clown with a chainsaw. So just, just some crazy stuff. A six four clown with a chainsaw. Yeah, I like no, nothing to see here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, I wasn't quite that big then, but yeah, I, it was still a little intimidating when uh, the clown with chainsaws running after you. I mean, did you you surely scared somebody to literal tears at some point? <laughs> oh yeah, the the things that you see in in a haunted house like that is is things that you wouldn't believe. I was smacked. I was punched. I mean, they just like, you know, you're in a, a haunted house that you're going to get scared. <laughs> but people, they fling their arms, they cry. People, we had people take off running and run into like, we'll have, we had like string to keep you on path. And they would run into the string and clothesline themselves. It was, it was wild. So people, people attacked you. They attacked the clown. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, would you, <laughs> so Luke? In your current state of life, like, are you a haunted house guy? Like, would you pay to go be scared or do you only like to be on this side of the ride? Yeah, no, I'm going to, I'm going to stay away from them. Um, honestly, now being through it and kind of seeing like where we hid and stuff. The last time I went through a haunted house, I, I was walking through and telling everybody I was with, there's going to be somebody in this corner. And then we get up to the corner and they pop wow. out and everyone's like, you're ruining it for us. So, <laughs> you know, it was it was one of those things that I, I stay away from them. I, I prefer being the scarer, not the scared. So, Luke Rayleigh is our guest here on the Hot Stove Show. Uh, how much did the nickname Nuke Rayleigh stick for you last year? Like, did this become a real thing? Yeah, yeah. I don't know how. I, I don't know even where it came from. All of a sudden, people were calling me Nuke, Nuke, Nuke. And then, um, you know, when I would hit one at home, everybody would – we kind of ch not chant it, but like, Nuke, you know, like, nice. so I don't know how, it, how it started or, but it, it did, it caught on. For Mariner fans that haven't seen you play, how would you describe yourself as a player? Um, gritty. I, I think that's the best way to describe myself is I will do anything that the team needs me to do to win baseball games. I don't care if it's getting hit by a pitch, laying down a bunt, stealing a base, you know, laying out in the outfield, running into a wall. I'm going to do it. I play 110% all the time. Um, you know, I, 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 it's one of those things where hustling has been pounded into my head since I was eight years old by my parents and my coaches. And it's something that I, I, you, you won't catch me not hustling. 
So, so you, you'll never question if the effort was there. Um, I, but that's the best way I would say to describe myself. Somebody who makes their offseason home in Cleveland has got to have hustle and got to have grit. <laughs> so, like, what every, everybody else, right, is in a warm weather climate, or most of them at least. What's training like for you in the offseason in Cleveland? How do you do it? Yeah, it's all indoor, but I actually have a great place I go up to. It's got like a 60 yard turf field, um, bunch of batting cages, machines. And I do it with a couple other pro guys, and we go and get there, hit field throw do what we need to do baseball wise and then we actually have a a trainer who does very like baseball specific workouts with us so some speed and agility every day um, mobility on tuesdays and thursdays and then like strength training on monday wednesday friday there's a couple home runs i want to ask you about there's one in san francisco that is really hard to describe uh i wish i could describe it well enough but it was a, a standing inside the park home run. It hit the brick, ricocheted off the very top of the wall, and then went jetting into center field. I have never seen an angle like that in my life. Yeah, I think that was like a one in a million kind of thing. I knew like that ball, I it was one of the hardest balls I hit all year. So the fact that it didn't get out of the yard in general was like shocking. But when I saw it hit the brick and then hit the top of the wall and get past the center fielder, I was like, oh, I got to go. <laughs> so it, it was one of those things. And and I ended up making it pretty easy, but yeah, it was, it was pretty cool to be able to say I have an inside the park home run in the big leagues. In Seattle, you hit a home run last year against George Kirby. George had a tremendous year last year for the Mariners. Do you remember, what do you remember about that home run in your new home park? Honestly, it wasn't one of the best balls I hit all year. I just kind of hit it where it needed to go. Uh, it was a, a change up. I was kind of shocked that he threw me a change up in that situation. I was, I was looking for a heater and he, he left it up a little bit and I was able to keep my hands back and just get the barrel to it. And it luckily it got up high enough and I don't know, caught, caught a breeze, something, but I got out. Luke, it's been really a lot of fun getting to know you. Again, your your story and stories, I should say, uh, are as good as they come. And we're just so excited to have you as part of the Mariners. And I can't wait to watch you in a Mariners uniform. Thanks for hopping on with us. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. That's Luke Rayleigh. We've got more Hot Stove coming up. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Welcome back. It's the Hot Stove Show. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. And it's really a treat to be joined by one of our favorite guys around the American League, at least the American League West, if you start to filter it down a little bit. Jared Sandler from the Texas Rangers radio broadcast. Jared, hey, man. How you doing? It's great uh, being with you guys. Wish Rick was here. Uh, he's my favorite, but uh, I guess I'll settle for you, too. Well, I, no, think, I, think... I mean, outside of like if you drill down American League West in Texas, outside of Steve Sparks, you're one of our absolute favorites, yeah. no doubt. Top five, yeah, yeah, no top five. I I look forward to the weekly power rankings uh, every Tuesday to figure out whether or not I've moved ahead of Robert Ford or whether he's leapfrog <laughs> back above me. I love Robert, so I'm just thankful to be kind of in his vicinity. Robert, the uh, very talented voice of the Astros, the uh, favorite nemesis of the Texas Rangers. Jared, man, uh, it was a huge uh, postseason for your squad, obviously. We want to talk about Mitch Garver. 
uh, the one of the newest additions to the Mariners. But first, let's just revisit. I'm, I'm just so curious, your memories, what stands out the most about the World Series run? Uh, it's such a special moment for any fan, any franchise, any broadcaster. What leaps to mind first? Well, growing up, as you guys know, growing up in, in Dallas, I grew up a diehard Rangers fan. And so it was really cool, really understanding what being a Rangers fan has meant to people with uh, coming so close in 2011 and uh, not quite getting back to that point with some talented teams in the years that followed uh, to having six years of, you know, kind of irrelevance. Uh, you know, I, I think this is a, a football state and a football area. And so when the Cowboys are one in 16 or 16 and one, they're going to steal a lot of the headlines. And then for the Mavs and the Rangers and the stars, they're kind of fighting based on, you know, how they're performing. And so with the Rangers struggling the last few years, there just wasn't a lot of fanfare. And it was really neat to feel the excitement of the Metroplex uh, surrounding this team. And then obviously going to Houston and winning the series in seven games in Houston and everything that took part in that series with Adolis Garcia doing some incredible things and some of the, the histrionics uh, was something that will be very memorable uh, and then obviously, you know, winning the World Series. And I'll tell you guys, I've always thought it would be so much cooler to win it at home. And I think from a fan's perspective, it, it you know, always is probably cooler to win at home. And I hope that, you know, the Rangers have that opportunity at some point. We won it on the road. And what was really neat, and I think something I'll, I'll always cherish, is that everyone was together. You know, it wasn't like you're at home and this guy and this group's going to, you know, hang here. And this guy, we were all at the hotel celebrating with family and, you know, whoever was a part of the traveling party. Uh, and that was really neat to just kind of have that one last moment where you're all together as a group and everyone is just, you know, euphoric. And I think just from a, a human standpoint, that's something that will always be really special to me. I feel like from the Mariners fan perspective, when they look at the Rangers winning the World Series, they say to themselves, hey, at least it wasn't the Astros. I think everyone can agree with that. It, it was wild to see how it played out from our perspective, because I remember watching the Rangers in that last series of the year and thinking, this is a team that's doesn't look good at all. And there was a chance they weren't going to make the postseason. If you had told me in that last series yet, yeah, fast forward a month, they're going to win the World Series. What happened in the playoffs for the Texas Rangers? Well, first of all, that's one of the, my biggest takeaways. And I, I'm just saying this honestly, not – I mean, I, I said before last season, I, I'm a big fan of the Mariners. I thought the Mariners all along were going to be the team that would make life uh, miserable for the Rangers. Uh, I, I'm not saying this in a, in a you know mean-spirited way – Mariners fans know how tough it is to win a World Series, right? And and Rangers fans up until uh, this point had also never experienced that. But to go from being a day or two away from not making the playoffs to winning the World Series, I mean, that just to me underscores how incredibly difficult it is. And the 101 win Orioles, they didn't win a playoff game. You know, the, the Tampa Bay Rays, who started the season like 300-0, didn't win a playoff game. And here are the Rangers and the Diamondbacks, two teams that kind of barely got into the, the postseason. Uh, and, you know, the Rangers end up winning. But it's just it, the, the margin between being a postseason team and not is, is so thin. Uh, what happened? I think two things. 
one, you can shrink the bullpen, and the Rangers got Josh Spores healthy and incredibly dominant. Uh, they got a really good version of Jose LeClerc, and they never really had to go deep into their bullpen because their starting pitchers went deep into games. You know, in, a, in an era now in baseball where you're seeing a lot of quick hooks in the postseason because teams want to get to their dominant bullpen, that was the antithesis of how the Rangers wanted to go about it because their strength was more with their starters. And Nathan Avaldi and Jordan Montgomery were outstanding. Uh, they got quality innings at times from Andrew Heaney and Cody Bradford and Dane Dunning uh, as much as was necessary. Uh, and then the other part of it, which is kind of how the Rangers won 90 games to begin with, despite having a really rough bullpen all year, they didn't play many close games, like relative to what you'd expect in a postseason. They did have some, but like if you go to that Astro series, their first best of seven series, which ended up going the distance, uh, the Rangers won three of those four games kind of decisively. And when that's the case, it takes pressure off of a bullpen after protect a one run, two run game. And so I think all those factors kind of came together and it, it it played out. And then I guess Adolis Garcia happened. I mean, he's an incredibly streaky player and hit one of his massive hot streaks at the right time. And that helped carry the Rangers to the World Series. Jared Sandler of Rangers Radio is our guest. Yeah, I when I look back to the Rangers from last year, it just it teaches me a number of baseball lessons that I hope I don't forget. And one is you don't have to be playing great going into the postseason. <laughs> In fact, you can be playing horrifically uh, going into yeah. the postseason and you can still win it all. And, you know, your point about shrinking the bullpen is, is a good one because I remember getting uh, on a, on a flight home from Texas uh, when we last saw you guys and saying probably to Gary being like, Hey, even if they make it, yeah. they're not going anywhere. They won't win a series with that bullpen. But when you shrink the bullpen and the guys that you shrink it to get hot, anything can happen in a month. Right. And in short series. So uh, lesson learned, Gary and I talk about all the time, how we need to like write these things on the wall of the broadcast booth so that we can remember them uh, for years down the road, because it's easy to forget that these are these are real baseballisms that are that that play out every year. And the and the other thing I'd say is, we, we especially with the trade deadline, you think about all the holes that a roster has and how you can fill them and and maybe just build this complete roster that is playoff ready. And to your point, Aaron, you don't have to have that, right? I mean, it's the Rangers did not have the best roster. They had plenty of holes, but it just all kind of worked. And it, it came together for a, you know, a, a three, four week stretch. But like, I, I spent it like you, I, I'd go home every night thinking, I don't know how, how, how is it going to work? Mm -hmm. How, how with, you know, if, if these are your three best relievers, what happens if you have to go and it, ended up working and and you don't have to have a perfect roster. Every team has holes and you just got to find ways to navigate around your holes. And the Rangers were able to do that. The other thing, when I look at the Rangers and think about what they did, everyone talks about the money they spent and clearly they hit home runs with the middle infield. When you talk about Seager and Simeon, however, 
we see in the same division, just because you have two stars doesn't mean you put it together and make a run. That's that's what we've seen with the Angels for so long. I think what goes underappreciated is how they put together the rest of that offense. I think Evan Carter and Josh Young last year, the way they played and their contributions, Rangers don't win the World Series without those two guys. And then you go around the diamond, and we'll get to Mitch Garver in a second, but you know, Garcia and Garver and Lowe and Heim, all these big, yeah, you go down the list and it was in different ways, some through the system, some off the scrap heap. It's really impressive to see how the Rangers put together that offense in the end. So, and that's another thing. There's not one right way to build a team. When the Rangers signed Seager and Simeon, they were heavily criticized because everyone said, no, 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 you've got to kind of, build from within, and then you make the big signings. Now, whether you do it first or last, you, you got to be sure to hit, uh, you know, a pretty high percentage. You don't have to be perfect, and they did. Uh, I, I took a lot of issue with people who were crying about how the Rangers bought a World Series. Uh, first of all, we should celebrate and root for teams that spend money. The other thing, though, is what you mentioned. Jonah Heim ha- not, hasn't hit free agency yet. Nathaniel Lowe, same thing. Josh Young, obviously rookie, you know, full rookie year. Evan Carter, he's not even, you know, he he didn't exhaust his rookie eligibility. Adolis Garcia uh, hasn't hit free agency, acquired for cash considerations. Mitch Garver, you know, now obviously was a free agent, now with the Mariners, but had not hit free agency yet. It's not like the Rangers roster was, you know, we're not talking about the Yankees or something where every guy in their starting lineup is getting paid 10, 20, 25 million. You know, this is a a team that did spend big in some big ways, but really most of their contributors just from a quantity standpoint are guys who uh, hadn't even hit free agency yet. And we're not making excessive amounts of money. We're joined by Jared Sandler of the Rangers radio network. One of their fine broadcasters, Jared, let's talk a little Mitch Garver. Uh, he is the one of the bats that the Mariners clearly really coveted. And his comments after he signed with the Mariners talked about how aggressive the Mariners were going after him and how much they made him feel like he would be such an integral part of this lineup. And we can understand why. Uh, when you think of Mitch Garver, what do you think of? I think of a really quality at bat and a guy who, when healthy, is a really, really good hitter. And it fits in the middle of the order. He's going to work counts. He'll draw walks. He gets on base. Uh, he is very much a part of, you know, what the Rangers identity was this year offensively. You know, they led the league in walks and it's not just about walks for walks sake. It's, you know, making pitchers work. It's wearing pitchers down. And Mitch Garver did that. You know, the, the knock on Mitch Garver is just, can he stay healthy? Uh, can he stay on the field? And to what degree is he going to catch? You know, I don't know. It, 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 is he, what what is the plan you guys think? Will he catch a third? I mean, is he is, is he gonna be Cal Raleigh's backup? Is he gonna be only a DH? Does he learn first base? I think to me, I, I do think Rangers pitchers enjoyed pitching to Mitch Garver because of his mind. I don't know that physically he's got the the tools to be a, a top level defensive catcher. And because of that, I want I like the bat and I want to do whatever I can to keep that bat in the lineup. Uh, he'll hit righties and lefties. Uh, he was one of the few guys on the team who could hit the elevated fastball well, which is obviously a, a need at times with the way guys work these days. Uh, and I, I think he's also someone who, in the clubhouse, he's not big rah-rah guy. He is hard-nosed, 
very dry. He's got a great sense of humor. He's very dry, but he loves baseball. And he will sit there in the dugout rail and talk hitting with you. Uh, and he will be great for some of the young guys when it comes to just understanding approaches and, and what it means to be a, a big league hitter day in, day out. I, I really enjoyed, you know, Mitch Garver. And I think that, uh, you know, he'll always have a special place for Rangers fans because he had the game winning hit in the decisive game of the World Series and uh, being a part of this team. But I think Rangers fans would have had an even stronger connection had he spent more time. Unfortunately, last year, his first year, 2022, he was hurt. And then this past year, when healthy, he was really good. And I think that's that's the guy, if he can stay healthy, the Mariners are going to get. Yeah, there's two sides to this, right? There's the bat that the Mariners are getting that they really need in the middle of the order. And they're taking away a bat from a division rival as well. How much do you think he'll be missed in the Rangers lineup moving forward? Yeah, I, so I, I think it's it's always funny. I think fans will always try and justify certain things uh, when they're trying to uh, you know, explain why they're not going to miss a guy like Mitch Garvey. Oh, we got this guy and that guy. And, and for the Rangers, what a lot of people say is, well, you know, the Rangers didn't need to sign him to a two-year deal because they got Wyatt Langford, who was their first round pick last year, almost, uh, almost maybe got called up last season just because the Rangers were really struggling and their lineup was faltering and he was just tearing the cover off the ball. I don't think he breaks camp with the Rangers. I think you see him early on as long as he stays healthy and, you know, obviously the, the thought right now is that he's got a very bright future. Uh, and and that that might all be well and true. I, I, I don't disagree with the idea that you maybe didn't need to sign Mitch Garver to a two-year deal. And if that's the case, then, you know, maybe he is a better fit elsewhere. That doesn't change the fact that you know what you're getting in Mitch Garver. You know that if he is healthy, he is going to be a really good middle-of-the-order hitter. You know, whether that's third or, or fourth, fifth, sixth, you know, whatever it might be, he is going to be a really productive hitter. So, uh, I mean, I think the Rangers will miss him until we know for sure that they won't, right? Uh, and they've got the tools and the players to where maybe we're talking June 1st and saying, yeah, hey, Mitch Garver was great, but because of this guy and that guy, his absence isn't felt. I, I feel good about that. But these guys aren't robots, and I think there is a leadership component that they'll miss with Mitch Garver, and I think the type of a bat he gives is something that they'll miss. And so... Uh, they've got the talent to have a really, really good lineup again. I, there's no doubt about that. But I, I feel guilty saying, oh, they're, they're not going to miss Mitch Garver. I think that takes away from how quality of a hitter he you know, he truly was and I think truly will be. Moving forward, you know, the offseason is still developing. And I know Jordan Montgomery still out there as well. What do you think the Rangers are going to do the rest of this offseason? What do you see? It's a, it's a great question. I think the TV deal with Bally's and, and whatnot, it has, has seemingly held things up. I think the Rangers, first of all, they've invested a lot of money, as we just discussed, in recent off seasons. So it's not like they've been pinching pennies. They've invested almost a billion dollars. And so I think for them to make some other big you know, signings, they want to have more clarity on the TV situation and what money they will or will not get. Uh, I think that they might have some clarity here in the coming days, and that might uh, give them a little more freedom, but that has uh, apparently held up some, you know, discussions that they have uh, otherwise would be having. I think Jordan Montgomery's still on the table. I do think there are baseball reasons why they, you know, might elect not to give him, say, a five-year deal. Uh, but you know, the Rangers have a rotation right now of a lot of guys who are going to be healthy in the second half of the season. Max Scherzer, Tyler Malley, and Jacob Degrom. Those guys will not be healthy in the first half of the season. So they got to 
figure out how to build a rotation with some depth that's ready to go to compete right away. Uh, and maybe it's Jordan Montgomery. Maybe it's, you know, less headline stealing, more depth guys. Uh, and then as always, you know, what fans I think tend to forget about uh, the Rangers are going to have to pay their current roster more money. Adolis Garcia is going to get more money, uh, you know, before, you know, with his arbitration status and Nathaniel Lowe, same thing, Jonah Himes, same thing. Uh, so, you know, the Rangers have to also be prepared financially to, uh, you know, uh, pay those guys. And then uh, how they build depth, I think, is going to be the real key, maybe more so than getting that one sexy acquisition. And then the trade market. I think they have a lot of opportunities in the trade market, too, with surplus in certain areas. Hey, Jared, it's always great, man. We appreciate your insights. It's uh, wonderful to catch up with you once again, and we look forward to uh, – we'll be seeing you down in the Valley of the Sun sooner rather than later, man. And I can't wait. I It is just being in your presence, Aaron. It's awesome. Well, that – that means quite a bit, Jared. Even, even coming <laughs> Gary, from you. Gary, I love you too. There he is, Jared Sandler of Rangers Radio. We've got more Hot Stove coming right up. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. We wind things down on our first Hot Stove Show of the year. Our goal to Gary Hill. Uh, Gary, we, there's a lot, a lot to take away from tonight's program. Uh, one, I can't wait to spend a season with Luke Rayleigh. I can't either. Uh, I hope he dresses like a clown in the clubhouse. <laughs> Are chainsaws allowed in the clubhouse? I'm not sure oh, of the rules there. No, I think it's fine. I don't. I've <laughs> never seen anything written down about that. So, like, remember when hoverboards got banned? All the players' yeah. kids were coming <laughs> right. in on hoverboards, and like, I do Major, remember that. Major League Baseball sent out an immediate ban of that, thinking that every player was going to get run over and IL'd. Yeah, so maybe chainsaws could be a problem. I feel like he could set up a Christmas tree at his. Oh locker no problem whatsoever yeah that'd be good you know what i love about the Rayleigh thing (laughs) is that everybody's got a different path yeah everybody's got a different story and i think it can be so easy from afar when you're watching this game or any other sport for that matter to think that all these guys had it given to them right Mm -hmm. the opportunity got the best coaching when they were young right had the best club teams that they played on were the number one pick and Rayleigh was anything but that every step of the way. And he's turned himself into a bona fide big leaguer. It's pretty cool. It is very cool. And it's one of the things I love about baseball because we're talking about a guy who the Mariners are counting on this year, who played his college ball at Lake Erie college, right? Not known as Uh, no, just not known. Period. Not not no. He didn't get drafted out of high school. You know, it's it's amazing the all the different ways you can be the Julio's of the world, who was a star at age eight, you know, and signed uh, as a teenager, or you can be Luke Rayleigh, who didn't get his first real opportunity until last year at age twenty nine. It's amazing, and they'll be in the same lineup and sometimes playing the same position. Well, our thanks to Luke Rayleigh, one of the newest members of the Mariners, to General Manager Justin Hollander, and to Jared Sandler as well from the Rangers Radio Network. Uh, I am Aaron Goldsmith. He is Gary Hill. Yes. And uh, we are excited to talk to you again next Tuesday night on the Hot Stove Show.